Welcome to Know Thy Trauma, a podcast by Wellspring Solutions Counseling Services. We are a group of therapists located in a small town in eastern Pennsylvania dedicated to helping people heal the loss and trauma that is part of the human experience. The content in today's episode can be potentially triggering, so please use discretion as you listen. If you find yourself triggered, we encourage you to pause it, engage in something that soothes you, and return when you're ready. And as always, we encourage you to seek out your own therapy if needed. Hi, welcome to our podcast today. My name is Sharon Wegman. I am a licensed clinical counselor and a licensed professional counselor here in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. Um, my practice is an integration of being able to deal with the spiritual issues, but from a very psychological foundation of understanding both aspects and how they feed into um, our healing and our growth. Um, and today I'm being assisted. My co-host is Kate Byler. Kate, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Kate Byler. I am an intern here at Wellspring Solutions. I'm currently in my last stretch of grad school at Jefferson University for trauma counseling and community trauma. So a lot of that focuses on the brain and the neuro behind it, but also from a therapeutic standpoint and how to integrate um, what trauma does to us in the counseling setting and kind of spreading that word. That's true. And so Kate brings some excellent skills with her because we're really body, soul, and spirit as human beings, and we need to be able to understand how to deal with each of those aspects. Um, Today, what we'd like to talk about is emotionally healthy dating relationships. But we're going to say, how about just emotionally healthy relationships? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're going to specifically tag the emotionally healthy dating relationships because I don't feel like there's a whole lot out there on that from the Christian perspective. And I want to do that. But I think a lot of it leads into our relationships that we have with friendships, maybe our marital relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, even it could be sometimes how we interact with um our siblings or those we serve in volunteer capacity. So uh, let's kind of go through and talk about why we need to have emotionally healthy dating relationships first. Um, We get to see a lot of people who are in dating relationships and they are worried about not making the same mistakes that their parents made or those around them made, or maybe they have unresolved trauma from their childhood and they're worried that's gonna come out. Or maybe they've had a bad dating relationship. It's not unusual for someone in their late teens, early 20s to have a not good relationship with somebody because it's part of the learning process. And they're worried about doing that again with the person that they're trying to move towards. So we really like to talk about what creates a healthy um, healthy dating relationship. Um, so our purpose today is to just talk about that and just 
go back and forth between Kate and I on our thoughts on that subject. Yeah, I, I also think, too, a lot of it, we see a lot of people come in that make almost vows of who they want to be like as far as their parents or who they don't want to be like or I'll never marry someone like that and then they come in with their problem and they're dating someone like that so even kind of talking about why does that happen and how does that happen because we see that a lot that's true so let's start there Um, in the world of psychology um, when we talk, we talk about imago therapy. Imago therapy says wherever I am most wounded in my childhood relationships with either mom or dad, I'm <laughs> likely to pick a person who is like mom and dad, but maybe not as visible as we perceive that. Sure, mom and dad. Um, we, the idea is. Okay. (sighs) That we're going to pick somebody like that because we're trying to make somebody like them heal us. So I'm going to make somebody who's distant be loving and connecting with me because that's my wound that I didn't have Mm -hmm. in my childhood. Right. I'm trying to think of an example of maybe you grew up with a mom who didn't give you a lot of physical affection Mm. and it's something that you really needed and they're more critical of you than affirming. Maybe your partner does not seem like that on the surface, but as you get to know them, you find out that they have similar traits and you're trying to force them, like Sharon just said, to be more affectionate to you or be more affirming when really they just are mirroring what you experienced as a kid. It's true. And I think people often feel like initially when they meet people, these people are not like their parents. But that's where it's so helpful to go do premarital counseling with somebody who knows what they're doing, who can say, you know what, this person does a lot of that. Do you see that? Um, Mm -hmm. Or have really good friends in our lives who are going to speak truth to like, that guy's completely not affectionate or affirming of you um so even a genogram yes which would which is maps out family dynamics but can also map out um how your partner is and his or her family dynamics and if there's that pattern that's connecting um so if you are seeing a counselor want to go to premarital counseling you could ask for something like that because your counselor would probably know how to do a genogram and it's usually helpful because you can see it laid out in front of you and it's not as an abstract thought because it's written out for you. Yes. So um, some books related to that that we would say we like. Um, I really love the assessment in the book How We Love by Mylan Yurkovich. Mylan is a Christian psychologist, and he has studied attachment theory, and he's applied it to marriage relationships, but I think it can be applicable to just about anything. You can also look at other attachment patterns, because you're going to look at what you're most likely to be attached to is what you grew up with. So with Mylan Yurkovich, you can go in on the website, or you can find it on our resource page of wellspringsolutions.com, 
and there you will find um, the assessment tool how we how you love and you figure out oh I'm an avoider. <laughs> oh, I'm dating a person who's controlling. I didn't even realize that until we took the assessment tool because sometimes love is quite blind. Right. <laughs> um, that would be a tool that I really like to flesh that out. I agree genograms are going to be very helpful. And I also like this book by Harville Hendricks, who is the father of Imago therapy. Mm -hmm. He has a wide variety of books. But he's, he talks about um, our unhealed wounds, and he, in turn, discusses it in detail and maps it all out. And so this one is Getting the Love You Want. Another book might be Keeping the Love You Find. He's got a lot of books on that. But again, trying to help people understand the people we're attracted to if we haven't done our emotional work. Right. If we haven't done our emotional work, the people we're going to be attracted to have this, have issues that are going to trigger our own past. And that's why they feel so comfortable. Right. And if we have done our emotional work, it's easier to um, see that those things in, in your partner and mm -hmm. not be overwhelmed by it immediately. But maybe, or even dating someone, you'd be able to find that out once you do your emotional work. The emotional work on ourselves or figuring out okay how would you know getting a lack of affirmation from my mom or dad really affect what I want in a relationship going forward right I feel like um, my clients who do the emotional work spot the unhealthy people immediately or the people who are going to be unhealthy to them but if they haven't done the emotional work and we're getting them in the midst of an unhealthy relationship mm-hmm that's the hard part is breaking off a relationship with somebody with whom we have gone to hell and back with and or maybe had shared very deep intimacy, sometimes sexuality. It's very hard to then cut off a relationship like that. Right. Um, so in addition to figuring out what your attachment style is and trying to look at the opposite type of person <laughs> that you would normally not be attracted to. I think one of the things that we would say is to keep the sexuality really at bay because it convolutes the issue completely. It makes people feel like there's more intimacy than there really is. Right. Or it's covering up an, an issue of it's like almost sometimes, as weird as it is, I think sex is one of the most, in, is the most intimate thing we can partake in as humans, but there's a point where we're almost substituting it for the other intimacy that we're not getting from our partner, which could be from an unhealthy relationship as we're, well, at least we're having sex. It's, it, I don't know, it makes it complicated and then it's hard to see, see straight and see what is healthy anymore. It just really complicates everything. It really does. And people don't understand that. Um, obviously in the Christian community, um, where people are taught to reserve sex until marriage. However, that doesn't happen. And we see the fruit of that. And 
it's not just about the actual sex act. It's all the emotions tied to it, all of the other stuff tied to it. Right. Um, another thing that we want to kind of mention, I guess, so is this like number two or number three? Yeah. Kind of in between. <laughs> two and a half. Two point five. <laughs> the two point five um, would be when you start dating with someone. We really want to make sure that you um, do not start diving in with giving this person all your time and all all your privileges to you. Mm-hmm. That's a big mistake we see people making. Right. And it's kind of, it's just putting boundaries on what does that look like. And I think that's the hard part with dating culture today. There's not a lot of talk about appropriate boundaries. You're supposed to just give your whole heart immediately and not keep any walls up. And that can be really dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. I want to see people not spending all every evening with each other I don't want them see I don't want to see them um, in a dating relationship devoting all their energy to the person that they're dating I want them to continue to have a full life outside of this person because we're setting ourselves up for failure when we're devoting a lot of energy to a relationship that we're not sure is going to continue so I want to see people have time with friends. I just want to see a limited capacity. Um, I saw a video by Danny Silk, and he was explaining, you know, when it comes to, like, a guy pursuing a woman and saying, hey, you want to go out to dinner, to even limit that, we we back it up a little bit. And we say, no, how about coffee? <laughs> we, we make, we don't turn it into big quickly. We back it down to smaller so that we are edging into it as opposed to jumping fully in. Right, and just keeping the communication open as the relationship goes on or even if, well, especially doing that, I think if it's not a said relationship yet, (laughs) to keep dating at bay and (laughs) put up appropriate boundaries. But if you're in an actual relationship, uh, you have to keep communication open of how serious are you feeling about it? How serious is this person feeling about it? Where we're, you're on the same level and not just going along with something because you feel like you have to or because it's what you do. And uh, <laughs> Yes, that's actually very common in the uh, Christian culture where they assume that all dating relationships should lead to marriage. Mm-hmm. So, when, so when we're going to make this number four, four <laughs> which is I'm not a proponent of the um, the what would we call that where we're we're choosing to only date people who we could possibly marry right I don't remember what the word was of that here I go again courting <laughs> yes. yeah right I'm not a proponent of it because I don't feel like it it, it really sets people up like, well, he's a good guy. I should marry him. Mm, no. <laughs> right. That's not how we make decisions. Or just be in the Christian culture. I think it's hard for women especially to be independent in their thinking of just like, yeah, I am interested in this person, but 
we're going to go on a date, that doesn't mean I'm saying yes to because we're dating. I will hopefully marry him one day. That is just so strange to me, but (laughs) it happens a lot. And I think a lot of my friends have, we've talked that over of how ridiculous that is and how impossible it feels to actually have a good relationship that way because there's an immense amount of pressure to go along with something that could be unhealthy for you in the long run. It's true. So the book I like associated to what we're talking about here on this point is Finding a Date Worth Keeping by Henry Cloud. Henry Cloud talks about um, just getting comfortable with the idea of going out for coffee with the opposite sex or doing an activity with the opposite sex without it being a dating towards marriage relationship. And I think he has some really valid points in there. Another book that I like um, is written by him and his partner. It's called Boundaries in Dating by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Like both of those books um, so that we just demystify the idea that dating has to be moving towards marriage and more like just figuring out what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with and slowly getting used to the whole process of uh, interacting with the opposite sex because that's often not happening in a lot of religious cultures. Right. It's really not at all. (laughs) So it doesn't, we don't know what that is. Um, So maybe number five, we'll talk about um, codependency in dating. Yeah. What would that look like, Kate? I think it, I think uh, there's a couple parts to codependency. When I first think of codependency, I think of almost like this internal need to have that person be almost everything to us or... Mm. Whereas, like, when they're not there or unavailable, we get anxious and panicky or this just this need that if all of our energy is going into this person that our, our other relationships have fallen away or, yeah, our, our friendships we don't see anymore. We don't put energy into other things we love. We're putting all our energy into just this one person. It's true. And we could divide that out and look at it a couple different ways. Um, Is this person the thing that calms me down? Mm -hmm. That's a problem. (laughs) Right. Because then I'm not learning how to soothe myself, how to access safe friends who can soothe me. Um, That's a, that's, we will see that. Um, But on the other end of the spectrum, we'll see people have expectations of each other. Um, When I was in college, after I dated my boyfriend in college for about a week, he asked me if I was going to do his laundry. (laughs) And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, "Um, you don't know who you're dealing with here. (laughs) But the idea was that was an expectation he had. If we were in relationship, I would do laundry and possibly other things that women do. Oh, he also then asked me if I was going to make him cookies. I was like, (laughs) 
I, I, because I'm a girl, I make cookies. I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Obviously. obviously. <laughs> so um, that can be codependency too. I, again, he had expectations of me that were going to make him feel better. So we could look at it as on one end of the spectrum, we're using this person as a pacifier, right. as our drug that mm-hmm. makes us feel better. And on the other end of that spectrum, I'm using this person to take care of me. Right. And I think like. Until we, like, do work on ourselves and are honest with ourselves, we all have these codependent tendencies. So it's almost like, where are your codependent tendencies before we get in a relationship to have the most healthy relationship we can? Because they're not just... Just because you might have tendencies doesn't mean they won't affect your partner and your entire relationship. I think that's the hard part. It's like, if we're like, oh, if I have these tendencies and it's not my partner, then I'm probably good. But really, it's both coming together and it makes it really hard to maintain that health it's true i'll see a lot of relationships that start out mutual and then slowly one person is such a giving and nurturing person and gets a a, a, like a get something out of giving care to other people. Or being needed. Yeah, they need to be needed. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. <laughs> when, when that happens, um, often that what was a mutual relationship slowly turns into one person being very entitled mm-hmm. because the other person carried so much weight in the relationship of care that, that per- the other person slowly becomes entitled. And that would happen in any relationship. Yeah. Um, our, could happen with our kids, could happen with friend, friends. So this leads into number six, which is we want to see mutuality in relationships. Right. People, I, I, mutuality and almost that idea to compromise, that idea where you're on the same, like, level. I, right. Plane, level plane, something like that. <laughs> where you're, one's not doing all the work and the other is doing nothing, or you feel like you're giving everything you got to just get by, and you're still feeling like you're just getting by. Um, it should there should be a mutuality of of work on e- on oneself, on like your own health and the re- the relationship's health, um, and both want that. Right. So you know, practically, what that looks like is I'll make people take turns in picking what they're gonna do. Right. One time it's the woman's choice, the next time it's the man's choice. Uh, we go back and forth so that there no one person has all the power in the relationship. Um, or uh, we're always going and doing um, stuff at his house. And I'm like, well, why are you never doing stuff at your house? I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, well, s- make it mutual. You, you're going to have to choose to make it mutual because... If you grew up in a home where you were codependent and you took care of one of your parents or your siblings in some way, you have a leaning towards being a caretaker in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's for relationships when we're aware can actually help us become healthier because we're able to say, if you are that type of person, we're learning to say, hey, I actually want to do this and I need this. And if your partner is a healthy person, they should accept it and not try and manipulate you manipulate you out of that. 
Whereas, so it's a place, a relationships, when they're done in a healthy way, I think, can, in a mutual way, we can learn to heal from mm-hmm. things we, like, missed in our childhood where maybe you never got to say what you needed, and now in this relationship you can learn that. So um, I think that's almost a sign of you're in a good, healthy relationship where you can start healing in certain ways. It's true. If you're saying no and you're making the other person upset, that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. <laughs> because then if they can learn to endure your no's, you're saying no to them, mm-hmm. that's healthy. Mm-hmm. But if they can't endure you saying no to them, mm-hmm. oh, right. we're setting up a bad system. Right. Um, so I'll have lots of times people in here, let's just lead into number seven, who can't tell people truths mm-hmm. because it's going to get up, them upset. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, (laughs) this isn't healthy. If you are avoiding telling that person something because they're going to get upset. Mm -hmm. Um, So in a healthy relationship, I think anytime somebody says no to anybody, there's a little like, oh, I wish they could. But learning to hear no would Mm -hmm. be number seven. Right. And then being able, and how that person receives no, and how you're able to communicate through saying no. Where uh, if I, if my husband asks me, do I want to go to this restaurant? And I say no, he should be able to be like, okay, well, what are some of the restaurants you were thinking of? Maybe we can come to a compromise, or maybe you can choose it this time, and I choose it next time. And it's really something as simple as that as being able to be like, instead of, do you want to go here? And inside, I'm like, no. But I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is probably something all of us have done at some point. But if it had become a habit out of maybe your childhood and deeper, I think it's you can assess that in your relationship. That's an easy assessment, yep. an example, in, to see where your relationship at or how this person might respond to your no. Because it should be taken with grace and understanding and not personalized and offended. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And if it is personalized and offended, that leads us to number eight, which would be the idea that um, being in a relationship means you're not going to always agree. Yeah. I, I, I just had this conversation with some clients yesterday or the day before. I'm like, the goal is not for that person to think exactly like you think. Right. The goal is to understand what that person is saying and have compassion and figure out how we can do this together, even if we have different points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal is not to make that person come over to your side of thinking and prove, you know, present a case to make that person um, hear you well, the goal is to listen to the other person well and be able to um, understand them, have compassion, and figure out how this works in our relationship. Right, and it's also understanding that we all, we weren't really just came into this world with these certain ideals or how we see things. It's from what we experience, and I'm pretty sure your spouse or partner has probably experienced an entirely different life than you have up until now. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's you go to separate workplaces, you have separate friends maybe, and that all is into account. We just, 
I don't know. I would just think it would be a really boring relationship if my husband thought exactly all the same things I did. I think that sounds terrible. <laughs> so it, it's it's understanding that, oh, you grew up in this culture and I might have grown up in this culture. Let's talk about it. And it doesn't have to be, again, offended or personalized mm. and put into an issue that exhausts you. Okay. Uh, number nine, the absence of controlling behavior <laughs> would be a significant marker for me. And here's what I see for a lot of people. If you've grown up in a family in which there was a lot of physical abuse or um, maybe sexual abuse or very overt verbal abuse, mm-hmm. sometimes when someone's being emotionally abusive, we could, which we'll talk about here in a minute, Right. which is on our manipulation podcast. You can listen to that yes. one. <laughs> um, when, when someone's being emotionally abused, sometimes they don't recognize it. So again, so important to work through our trauma issues so that when someone is being abusive to us, we recognize it and we're like, whoa, as opposed to, oh, that feels normal. Right, and that's the phrase I thought of most of our clients and most people honestly think that is normal and it's like when like abuse emotional abuse physical abuse any type of abuse should not be normal but if you've grown up in an environment where that's really all you know that's your normal and that can really impede on your the vision and lens you're looking through your relationship in or this person in right so you can listen to our manipulation in re- our manipulative what what I don't, manipulative our manipulation mm. podcast right <laughs> but um, you know that could be even even something like sarcasm mm-hmm. when you say no to somebody oh so you're gonna blankety blank blankety blank and I'm like okay no sarcasm is very much a tool of somebody who is emotionally abusive. Um, and is trying to control you through their sarcasm. Um, or just pushing back um, when you say no and, and not accepting that and trying to push you to agree with them so that they can get what they want. Again, that's emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. Or even passive aggressiveness with sarcastic undertones it's all there Um, just all signs it's true and I'll I'll have a lot of parents who don't understand how passive aggressive they are with their kids by when they're making snarky comments Um, just okay so yesterday was the 13th no today's the 13th so if you go on our Facebook page Wellspring Solutions Facebook page I put an article on there about, um, and it was written by some psychologists, about healthy standards of, the, of house rules. And one of them really talks about that passive-aggressive, sarcastic stuff and how it creates a sense of disrespect in the mm-hmm. home. Um, and like, oh, nice of you to join me. Or, oh, nice of you to come downstairs. That's sarcastic. It's snarky. It doesn't make someone respect you. Mm -hmm. It actually makes someone disrespect you. So we just want to be looking for the absence of controlling behaviors, which we've talked about all throughout this podcast. Mm -hmm. But here we're specifically talking about emotionally abusive. Right. 
Um, and then maybe number 10, I'm going to say, is the ability to apologize and own your stuff. Yeah. You want to talk about that? One. Yeah. I, I think we have to be accountable to our own shortcomings and honest that we all have negative traits and tendencies in us. And I think healthy relationships is realizing even most of it to me is very unintentional when we walk into relationships, realizing that, oh, how I'm saying things or how I'm acting or my lack of loving them well, even though I didn't know it, is really hurting them. And the ability to talk about that and realize it and say you're sorry, I think transforms like the whole relationship. Mm -hmm. And you're also transforming that other person and yourself. So it's a huge thing. So just a good apology or what else goes along with sorry? Sorry, how, even asking how, how did I make you feel? Mm. And what was it that I said? What was it that I did? Because I think with that, to kind of backtrack, it, it helps us realize, wow, I, I might have learned that from my childhood. That's the only way I know how to communicate, or that's how I learned how to love, or I don't know how to give you physical affection because I didn't have physical affection. So really, it's letting that other person talk and having them explain, hey, this is why, you, this is why I felt hurt. This is in the moment what you did and how it made me feel. And being willing to sit there and accept that without getting defensive or case representing, but really letting that person have that moment. Right. So getting familiar with how to help the person you're dating and, and having compassion on, on their trauma triggers. Mm -hmm. um, but, but in addition to just apologizing, you know, I think this is the one thing that makes a lot of people powerless. Well, that's just how I am. Right. That's how I was exactly, raised. Yeah. I can't change that. That's mm -hmm. who I am. I'm like, mm, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you can, um, but it's going to make you uncomfortable. Right. Most people don't want to move towards uncomfortable. Right. Because uncomfortable would mean, I well, just means I have to be uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> and nobody likes to feel uncomfortable. Everybody likes to feel comfortable. So, yeah, to change, you're going to get uncomfortable. But sorry is not a changing of behavior. Mm -hmm. It's an intention. I want to change. I'm sorry I didn't, I hurt you. Mm -hmm. But also moving towards, all right, let me figure out how I can begin to do that. Right, and owning that your actions hurt that person. We we don't like the phrase, I'm sorry, that made you feel that no, way. No, we do not. <laughs> <laughs> so that would just be more like, I'm sorry I hurt you. It doesn't have to be super complex, but you hurt them. and Because it, that phrase makes that person feel like, I shouldn't have hurt you, but I did, and I'm sorry. I, that What I said shouldn't have actually hurt you, but I'm sorry it made you feel that way. So taking accountability for our own stuff and choosing to do something about it. Yes. It's a, it's a big process, but it can be done. We see it all the time. Um, number, I, I feel like they want to, I, I want to add like one fluff one. So we're just going <laughs> to put the icing on this cake and we'll call it like 10 plus. <laughs> But the 10 plus is I want to see mutuality with people about things they're passionate about. Mm. I see a lot of people who in their codependency um, enter relationships 
um, and the other person thinks that they like football, but in fact, they've just been doing it to comply and don't really own what they like and what they don't like. Right. So part of part of being healthy in a dating relationship is knowing what you like and what you don't like and how is it different and the same than your spouse. So, so because I see a lot of people who have nothing in common and they really have to work hard at, at figuring out things they can do together. Mm-hmm. So I want to see mutuality, that you have shared passions, shared interests. And if you don't, you got to have at least some. Yeah. That, that will make it better. Yeah. And sometimes it's good to know out of those, like, what do you really want mutuality in? Mm-hmm. I think it's harder to figure that out when you're like, oh, I didn't know this was so important to me. It's true. So, um, sports is a big one. I'll have men who think that their wives like football, who think that their wives like NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Because when they were dating, they did those things together. Right. But that woman wasn't really stating, I don't really like this. Yeah. And then they get confused and hurt because I thought I was sharing my life with somebody when in fact I I was I was kind of being deceived in this situation. Right. I remember immediately when I started dating my husband, I was like, I'm sorry, I can't stand watching sports. I hate it. <laughs> but I go to the parties for the food and to talk to people. And you know, it wasn't this like facade where it's like, wow, she's really into sports. Like I can't even fake it. <laughs> so it's stuff like that where you they know about you right away and you know about them and there's certain things that you might want that are like I want mutuality in this or I want to be on the same page with this or have the same interests in this way because it might have a big to do with a big part of your life or how you relax or your hobbies and how you spend your time it's true um so we just gave you 11 markers mm-hmm. uh, the 11th being the the icing on the cake Um, to say start you know looking at your relationships and just just kind of figuring out what is not healthy and what do we need to grow in if this is even a good healthy relationship to be in let me repeat the various books that I think you were would be helpful for people in dating that would be finding a date worth keeping by Henry Cloud Um, boundaries in dating by John Townsend and Henry Cloud um how We Love by Mylon Yurkovich. Getting the Love You Want. Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks. And what we teach in here, when I do marriage counseling in here, we teach emotionally focused listening, focus, focus, focus therapy. And that's um, Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson. That, and that's just basically the skill of learning how to hear people mm-hmm. well and validate them and empathize. Most people aren't taught that. Right. Unless they're raised by a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> but most people aren't taught to emotionally listen to other people and validate their emotions and things like that. So that's a good, healthy one for anyone. Um, again, check out our um, 
podcast on manipulation if you want to understand that some more. If you go on wellspringsolutions.com, you can find lots of resources, including the love language test. Yes, which is very helpful. By Harville, not by Harville Hendricks, by Gary Chapman. Yes, <laughs> got it. Why is it helpful, Kate? Well, you might not know what your love language is, and you might not know how you, well, you might not know how you present love to people, and you might not know how you feel loved, and it would be good if you and your partner both took these, because I can tell you it has helped me a lot. <laughs> um, I receive love by um, quality time or one-on-one -on -one with someone and words of affirmation usually, whereas my husband is very big on physical touch and words of affirmation. And words of affirmation for me personally are very hard to give him. And I didn't even realize that was a thing until we took that assessment and we were able to talk about it and work through it and figure it out. doesn't make anything easier, <laughs> but at least you know and you're aware and if you're willing to work on it for your partner, it can like really transform. It's so true. Um, it's very important piece. So yes, go on um, our webpage, wellspringsolutions.com. Go in our resources page and you can find the love language assessment in there, and that is Gary Chapman. Um, they actually have one for kids, too, which is cool to figure out yeah. what, how to love your kids better. Yeah, and the book is a really easy read. It's pretty thin. It's small. It doesn't it's take fast. a lot of time. So. It's fast. That would be a good book, too. But I loaned it out, and I don't have it in my pile right now. <laughs> so, all right, well... Thank you for joining us, and um, go have a healthy relationship. See you later. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in more information, visit our website at wellspringssolutions.com, which is linked in our show notes, along with any resources used in today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to DM us on social media and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Original music featured in this episode is by Christopher Burkholder.